Hi, and welcome to Drawing Inspiration. I am your host, Mike Hendley. In this podcast, I look beyond the easels, the sketchbooks, and the iPads to discover what it means to be an artist. Join me as I speak to other creatives about their journey, as well as reflecting on my own artwork and experiences. Episode 78, Creating Art Outdoors, Urban Sketching and Plein Air Painting. Hey everyone, welcome back. I think through my appearance on the Make Do podcast and a few of the things I've posted recently, I've had a lot of questions about what I do outside, how I do it, what tools I use. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to spend a podcast episode just talking about this with the weather turning and people getting outside and uh, becoming social again and bringing their art uh, tools outside. I thought it would be a good time for us to talk about kind of getting out there and creating. So I'll cover some updates and then we'll dive right into uh, what I do as a matter of urban sketching and plein air and even talk about the difference between the two of them. So one of the things I did uh, based on a comment from Tiff Armit, I think it wasn't, it didn't make it into the make do podcast episode I was on, but uh, she talked about wanting to see a sketchbook tour. So I did do one of an older sketchbook that I have from, I think, 2019-20. And I put it up as two reels on Instagram. So just giving you a sense of the kind of work that's in there, a mix of ink and pencil. I think I'm going to do a few more of these. I'm trying to do more reels. I haven't done much in the last week and a half or so, but I really enjoy kind of trying to put some story together, once again, consistent with my theme of storytelling this year in being able to show you some of the work that I'm working on, some of the unfinished pieces, and kind of, you're going to see some of these pieces make an appearance in some other things I'm working on. So I'm not going to say more than that, (laughs) but if you watch my Instagram, maybe in the future, you're going to see these come around to something more significant. So a couple of things, uh, as a matter of updates with regard to my perpetual journal, I did a magnolia. We bought a magnolia tree that I put in this year and it just kept flowering and flowering. So I just had to put these uh, flowers down into the sketchbook. The colors are just brilliant. So I had to do that. I had to bring these in. There's such a deep, rich purple when they start to, uh, when they're just budding. And then when they emerge, they they soften a little bit and become a little bit more pink. So um, yeah, that was an addition. The other was the fiddleheads. And so these are young ferns. They kind of unfurl as they emerge from the ground. I remember my uncle uh, cooking these up in the spring and I was always so impressed with uh, the fact that he just pulled some of this stuff from from the ground. He ate wild, wild garlic and these fiddleheads he would fry up and I just remember that as a kid. Uh, my uncle doing this kind of stuff all the time and my, my grandfather did the same thing. It was just, uh, it was a flashback for me to be able to actually draw and paint these pieces. And both of them were done once again using a Micron uh, Sigma with the 005 size using sepia ink. So that is that kind of light brown ink. I think I really want to get the gray now, the light gray. But the sepia, I find, gives me more of a feeling of pencil. So what I'm finding with this pen is if I lay it down almost flat, maybe not flat, but (laughs) lay it down quite a bit, I can get some really fine lines. And that means when I come in with a watercolor that I don't have to worry about it smearing or smudging or anything. So that was a lot of fun to do. I did something cool, which I haven't done in a while, obviously because of our weather, but because of COVID, is I went to our tulip festival. We have this massive tulip festival every year where these tulips emerge and people walk around and take pictures and there's music and all kinds of things to do. So I went into 
um, this park and I painted some tulips. This was part of a, there's a local group called Art East and they had a bunch of artists in the park just drawing and painting. They have it for most of the week. It's a week-long festival. I think it's a week, maybe two weeks, but they have artists there every day kind of doing uh, their stuff and creating and painting and um, oil paint, watercolor, and so on and so forth. So I decided to go and to try it out. And so I packed up my kit and I went. So I started with painting kind of the orange red with the yellow tips. I did that one by myself. I had quite a few people stop by and ask me about it and look over my shoulder once again, being like, Ooh, it's the ugly face, don't look at it yet. Uh, but it was about an hour, I think, from uh, start to finish. And I was pretty happy with the way it turned out. I wasn't trying to do a landscape scene. So I have tried landscapes before. They don't work for me. I like kind of focusing in on the details. So I just did a single tulip, sat in front of it. It was a bit awkward because my easel is at a comfortable height, but the tulip was down below. So I kind of had to put my easel really, really low and kind of lean over the front of the easel to be able to see the tulip itself. But I haven't done kind of a uh, that kind of study of a plant in person just looking at it. I'm not sure I've ever done that except maybe a tree but uh, that was kind of fun it was it was great to do I was able to find some shade it was very hot and a sunny day and then I did a second one which was a mix of kind of pink and and white and purple and I did that with a, a friend of mine another artist by the name of Christelle uh, you'll have to check out her work I'll provide a link in the show notes to her so we ended up near a different flower bed and we each did something different and we chatted while we were doing it. And what I found is we didn't have as many people asking us questions. I don't think anyone asked us questions. So uh, that was kind of a fun experience and uh, it encouraged me to think about doing this kind of thing more often. Now, that being said, I had a degree of anxiety because there were lots of people. So I think in future, I will probably um, consider other venues, but you know, once you get into it, once you're sitting down and, and drawing and then painting, you're not seeing those people around you. I didn't really notice how busy it was until I was done. It was like, oh, wow, I did not realize there were this many people around me. But uh, it was a great experience being able to uh, to draw and paint those tulips. Once again, I, I'm not a big fan of landscapes, but I'm also not necessarily caught up in, you know, doing flowers. I'm trying to find the odd thing. So I was actually looking on the sides of trees to see if I could find some insects or something interesting. But I ended up just doing the tulips because I haven't done them before. But uh, I think that there's something there for everyone. If you walk into a garden and you're looking for something to draw or paint, don't just look for the pretty flowers. Look for those insects and those bugs and those um, those kind of nature-inspired kind of shapes and textures. They're all around. And um, yeah, so I think I'm going to probably go back to a garden center in future and, and do some more of this kind of stuff, but intentionally looking for the oddities, the the damaged pieces, the, the broken leaves, the broken branches, and, and that kind of stuff, and not just looking for the most beautiful flower. So the other thing I did as well as a bee, I uh, this is based off a reference photo I found. It was free to use, uh, and I saw this bee on a flower, and I thought I'd got to try pencil again. I missed pencil. <laughs> I miss it so much. I, I get a week, maybe, and then it just calls me back. So I did this piece in pencil, once again, providing a link to all of this in the show notes. And this bee is sitting on top of a, a beautiful flower, 
and uh, I have a lot of bee pictures, but I didn't have one this kind of detail on this kind of flower. And what intrigued me about this was not just the bee itself, which I wanted to make, I wanted it to punch out a little bit of the page, so I really focused on the darks and getting the texture of the wing right and things like that. But I also wanted to work on those little white hairs that are on the flower. And so what I did there is I actually used an electric eraser, which I will talk about later, and it has a really fine tip on it. And so I used that to pull back and, and basically erase the graphite so that I have these little tiny lines. And it was so fast and quick to be able to do that. I was really focused just on having those lines in place. It was just in my sketchbook, so I didn't really spend a whole lot of time on it. But uh, it worked really well, so I think I'm going to start using this in future. So yeah, that was a, a good experience in being able to... Uh, I'm going to do more of these pencil pieces in between some of the other work that I'm doing. I just feel it grounds me, and I just love working with pencils. So keep an eye out for more of that. So that's it for updates. Let's talk about plein air painting and urban sketching. As I said at the beginning at the top of the show, I wanted to kind of address this because I had so many questions about tools and, and you know, what is urban sketching versus plein air painting. And what I do, I think, is maybe somewhere in the middle because I think people think plein air painting, they think oil painting, uh, something that is focused more on detail. It could be pastels and the work is intended to be more finished, possibly. And I think urban sketching is intended to be more, once again, sketching, something that is less focused on detail, tends to be quick, could be inside, like a cafe, um, plein air painting. And this, I think the suggestion would be maybe it's, it's outside, maybe it's landscape. And uh, typically the urban sketching, you also include uh, information around where are you? What time is it? What did you see? Kind of your observations. I think I do somewhere in the middle. I don't do kind of the, I, I do do urban sketching as a matter of kind of the really rough ink and throw down some water quickly, but I tend to like to do the detail. So I'm kind of in between the two. And that's why I've grouped them together because I want to talk about the tools in general. I'm not really going to focus on the oil painting and the tools for that. I will mention it in passing, but I'm really going to talk because I haven't done oil painting. And so I'm really going to focus on what I've done and what I've used. I'll tell you the stuff I've seen but not used. And, you know, what I say is what I use. It's not necessarily what you should use. So I'm simply sharing kind of my approach to this, some of the tools I've, I've used, some of the approaches I've used in doing this. And then you can make your own decision. We all like our own equipment. And, uh, but it's always nice to hear what other people are using and what they do. You know, most of the tools and supplies I'm going to cover aren't needed. Like, really, all you have to, all you need is you need to get outside, sit at a picnic table, a park bench with a piece of paper, a pad, or whatever the case, and a painting or a drawing tool. That's all you need. Just get out, and you can then start enjoying that kind of experience of of drawing from uh, observation. But I do a little bit more, and so I'm going to talk a little bit about that. So what I've done is I've built my kit, and it is the same kit I use on my desk versus sitting out in a field somewhere, such that I can just pack it up and I can take it with me or unpack it on my desk and use it. So I try to keep it all together. I don't obviously use my stool in my office and things like that, but my main kit that has my pencils and everything else, it's all in the same bag. So I just take the bag and I go. So the only difference is, once again, I take my easel, a chair, umbrella, that kind of other stuff when I travel. 
the first thing to I think to consider when you're doing this kind of plein air and urban sketching is the location. Where and what are you going to draw? I mentioned earlier going to a garden center. That's a great location for plants and birds and animals. So if you were to go to a garden center, I would suggest speaking to the owner or to someone there and saying, you know, is it okay if I just spend an hour here painting or drawing? I'm sure they'd be fine with it. Uh, you know, other places you can consider are places like a cafe, a museum, uh, a gallery, you know, a, a farm. There's all kinds of places you can go with with some really interesting features, animals, equipment, buildings. It doesn't matter. Something that inspires you. So it's it's being mindful of that location. And then when you get to that location, thinking about where you're going to sit. And so the first kind of comment when you hear about urban sketching specifically is that you want to have your back up against a wall. And you want to be able to protect yourself from somebody sneaking up behind you, especially if you're by yourself. So try and think about that back against a wall, back against a tree, somewhere like that, that you can be able to protect yourself a little bit and just be able to kind of understand what's going on around you. And trying to put yourself off the beaten path a little bit. So at the Tulip Festival I was at, I was kind of tucked away at the corner of a garden. I wasn't on the main path. And the other thing to consider, and I talked about this earlier as well, is is doing it with at least one friend. Because when there's two of you, people are less apt to come up and ask questions, but it also makes you more comfortable and secure when there's more than one of you. So reaching out to a local friend, a local artist. There are a lot of urban sketcher groups. Most of them have a presence on Facebook. And so there's an opportunity to say, I'm going to go here. Anybody want to go with me today? And then you can coordinate that. You meet and chat with other artists, but it also means that you're together as a group, which may, may provide a level of security that you're looking for too. And the other thing to consider too, and I mentioned this in the Make Do podcast, is wearing headphones, like the over-the-ear type of headphones, the obviously I'm wearing headphones, headphones. <laughs> and that just tells people, I'm doing something don't come and ask me questions if that's what you don't want to have happen. Uh, if you want to encourage questions, then it's absolutely fine. I've not had a negative experience with any interacting with anyone while I was doing this stuff. But if you want to kind of keep yourself separate, then it's worth considering that kind of approach to it as well. And the other thing I would suggest when you kind of sit down and you're ready to start is take some photos. Take some photos at the beginning of your experience and take some photos at the end. And that gives you an opportunity to to you know, continue later if it starts to rain, if you feel that you need to leave for whatever reason, if you get a call, at least you have the photos to work from. So taking the photos before and near the end, and I say near the end because the scene may change, vehicles may move, people may move. Uh, the, depend If you're there for two or three hours, the, the sun may have moved as well. So consider that when you're, uh, when you're setting up. So the other thing to consider when you're outside is obviously the weather. So being mindful of, is it a really sunny day? Is it raining? Is it a chance of rain? And so I don't usually go out when it's raining. It's just, it's too much. I'm not going to, it's going to get too messy. I'm not going to worry about it. But I did buy an umbrella from Amazon. And this is kind of a neat umbrella because it's, it's almost like rectangular when you fold it out. It's not necessarily round and it's intended to clamp to something. So I actually clamp it to the tripod that holds my easel. And what it means is I can control kind of the sun on my head, but more so control the sun on my piece of paper. And it is a brilliant piece. It's not that heavy. I carry it with me wherever I go. If you can't do that, then just putting yourself, you know, under a tree or a building and and being mindful of the direction of the sun, the movement of the sun. So maybe you're sitting in this, maybe you arrive there at nine, 10 o'clock in the morning. 
but you know as that sun moves in the sky that the shade is going to eventually hit you. So just planning for that or not getting yourself in the shade at 10 a.m. and then being in the sun at noon. So just being mindful of that, you know, wearing sunscreen, wearing a nice um, a nice hat. I use a Tilly hat that has a large brim to it. And I always wear, I have my my Urban Sketcher pants and, and shirt that I wear. I wear a really long sleeve shirt. It's very light. And I also wear long pants as well. So I don't have to worry about sunscreen everywhere. It's quite cool. I can be out in 35 Celsius um, weather and not have to worry about overheating. The other thing to consider with that too is obviously uh, snacks. So making sure that you have a few bites to eat along the way and water. Um, we always kind of forget the water and I'll talk a little bit more about water later on. So the other thing to consider obviously is, is where to sit. And so you could sit on the ground. You could bring a blanket, just sit on, um, on the grass itself. You could sit at a picnic table or a park bench. I use something called a walk stool. And so this walk stool is a collapsible stool. It has three legs and it, the, the legs kind of intertwine in the middle. And so there's two settings. One is you can fully extend the legs and you can sit anywhere. There's different heights for it. It has a fabric seat. It's quite comfortable. But if you compress the legs so that the, the stool itself is half its height when it's fully extended, the legs come down to a single point. And while it's not stable on its own, it does mean that you're closer to the ground and you can actually rotate almost like on the top of a pogo stick, you can rotate yourself around this point, And that's actually quite comfortable as well. So for me, this walk stool is, it's not too heavy. Um, it's fantastic to be able to carry around. And that's what I use when I, when I go urban sketching. So then I can sit anywhere. I don't have to be reliant on finding a good patch of grass or a picnic table or a, or a seat. Now you can also use those collapsible camping chairs. I just found that the walk stool was easier to carry. And there are other chairs that are much lighter and much smaller. And so I'm just sharing what I use. <laughs> you may find something that's more appropriate and that's fantastic. If you do, share it with me. I'd love to be able to pull a list together and let me know what you're using for that kind of stuff as well. And that applies to anything that I talk about here. So the main piece around all of this for me is the easel. You know, if you you don't have to use an easel, you can just use a hold a sketchbook and then hold your palette and, and draw and paint. Uh, that's absolutely fine. I've seen some people who have easels that are repurposed cigar boxes. There are uh, individuals and companies that make these things. I'm not going to speak to like the French box easel because that's really focused around oil painting and that's not something I've experienced with, but I know that some people do that and it seems to work great. It's not something I've used or will ever use at this point. For me, I made myself a gurney easel. So I had James Gurney on the podcast. I'll link to that in the show notes. He has a video and plans available for purchase where he kind of walks you through how to build one of these. And so in the video, he's making one for his wife. He made it a little bit taller, which is the one I made. I think I'm going to make a second one, which is uh, more to the one that you see him using in his clips, uh, because I think I can probably pack that one a little bit easier. He uses special friction hinges, and um, it's, it's almost like there's basically two pieces of wood with two hinges. And the nice thing about the friction hinges is that they open and they stay in place. So you can open it up. You've got your sketchbook on the top part. The bottom part kind of holds your, uh, your water and your brushes and your palette. And then what you do is you put little magnets on the bottom one so it holds those metal palettes in place. And it's a beautiful little setup. I, I really enjoy using that easel. I'm just going to build a second one because I just like to tinker and try to, <laughs> try to see how things can work that way. 
the way this easel is designed is there's actually a quarter 20 uh, socket that you put into the back of it. And the advantage with that quarter 20 socket, so the quarter 20 is the measure of the thread, is that that accepts a tripod mount. And so what this means is you can take this easel and mount it on top of a really small tripod. And so I use a really tiny Manfrotto tripod. I'll provide a link to it. There are fantastic Amazon alternatives as well. But I wanted something that folded up really, really tiny, wasn't very heavy, and had that flexibility. And so this Manfrotto tripod is, is fantastic. I have some massive ones I would never take urban sketching, but this one's perfect. I can adjust the height. I could stand. I've used it standing as well, but it works at all these heights, and it is pretty tiny. So I'm able to kind of get that kind of small footprint that I expect in a, in a tripod. And I have the plate, which mounts to the top of the tripod, mounted permanently to the back of the easel. So I don't have to put the plate on any time. I just have to really just place the easel on top of the tripod and tighten it down, and it's perfect. Now, one thing I saw this past week is that my friend Christelle, who was drawing with me and painting with me, used something called a Stablo easel. So it's S-T-A-B-L-O. And this is a company out of France. And what's interesting about this easel is it's really, really small. It's really just, it almost looks like balsam wood, like, you know, those planes when you were a kid? A little bit thicker. But the whole point in this is that you attach the easel to the top of your book. And then once it's attached, you can lay your palette on there. It's magnetic. Uh, you can put your brushes. You can put a water cup. And it just becomes part of your book. So you don't need a tripod. And because it's so thin, you can throw it into a satchel, um, a purse. It, it fits perfectly. And it's really, really light. And so I'm thinking about this. Now, I say thinking about it because right now my favorite sketchbook, and I'm not sponsored by any of the things I've spoken about. Um, my favorite sketchbook by far is the Etcher sketchbook with the hot press paper, because that means I can do pencil, I can do colored pencil, I can do ink, and I can do watercolor. The uh, cover to the Etcher sketchbook is really thick because it's got a fabric on it. You can actually paint on the fabric. I think it's too thick to fit like Christelle's sketchbook fit into this. However, I still may end up getting this to try it out. So I think if you're not using the Etcher sketchbook, the fit will be perfect. If you are using the Etcher sketchbook, then you may want to be, you know, find out if somebody else has it, try it out first. I have not used it. I saw her using it and I was like, oh, that's super, that's really super cool. Uh, so if you're using something like a moleskin, you could probably be fine. Um, the moleskin watercolor book. But uh, if you're using an Etcher, I don't think it's going to fit as well as we think. Um, I was told by Stablo that it will fit, but it'll be a little bit lower down. So um, your mileage may vary, but I, I, I just think it's a brilliant design. Now, as I mentioned, my sketchbook, my preferred sketchbook is Netcher with the hot press. I do like the cold press. I'm not ruling it out. Uh, but if I don't know what I'm going to do, I will bring the hot press. With the cold press, I really can't do graphite. Uh, I can do ink and watercolor, but even with the ink, I can't use the Micron because it's a really rough surface, so I have to use the fountain pen, which is fine, but it just limit, limits you a little bit. Now, my favorite size now is uh, the one I used on the weekend or uh, on Friday with the tulips was an A6, so that is the smallest size. I would say that A6, A5 are great. A4 is a bit large for me to be carrying around. So my favorite book right now would be either A5 or A6, Hot Press, The Etcher Sketchbook, 
you know, I still I still brought the cold press version of it and in A6 too, just in case I wanted to go with that, because there is there's a bit of magic when you use watercolor. There is a bit of magic when you use watercolor on cold press paper. So I didn't want to rule that one out either. Um, so I, I do always bring like two or three sketchbooks, <laughs> trying to be light, but always bringing more. Uh, Hanamule make a wonderful watercolor book as well. I haven't used one, I don't think. I use Hanamule paper for my, my um, prints, but I don't think I've used their watercolor book. But I love their paper. Like their, the paper I use for my prints, the cold press paper is just beautiful. So I know I've heard very good things about the Hanamule. Um, I've used Pentalic sketchbooks, which I think are brilliant, but I don't think Pentalic make them anymore. If you can find them, that's great. So as a matter of like sketchbooks, just whatever you want. If you want something spiral bound, that works great as well. It's a matter of what you're comfortable with. The other thing to consider too, and you see James Gurney do this, is not just accepting that you have to work with white paper. Is taking that sketchbook, maybe the night before, maybe a couple nights before, and prime the paper with something like casein, which is like a milk-based paint um, that is permanent when it dries, or something like acrylic. I primed a couple of pieces with pieces of paper in the sketchbook with some acrylic, just a really rough, I think one was a, a, a light ochre and the other was um, a Payne's Gray. And then what I have to do is when I paint on top of that, I have to come at it with gouache, depending on the colors I'm using, in addition to the normal watercolor. But I'm really happy with priming it with acrylic, so I would encourage you to try that so think about that. If you're thinking about maybe I'm doing a beach scene and there's a beautiful blue sky, maybe prime the paper with some blue and uh, in advance and then go out and then add your white clouds and add your sand or, or prime it with light ochre or yellow ochre and then use that as the base. So it's, it's being kind of inventive and, and you know maybe priming three or four pages of different colors and then seeing which one works for you. So don't just expect that the white paper is going to be perfect for you try these other things like i was it was so much fun i did a fox and uh on uh, some of this Payne's grain it was kind of fun i'm going to experiment a little bit more with this but um so once again acrylic or casein casein seems to be really hard to get where i am in canada and it seems to be expensive if i order through amazon acrylic worked just as well so i didn't put it on too thick i just put it as a bit of a wash on the paper uh, just to just to change the color and it wasn't it wasn't perfect, but it was just intended to be a splash of color on the back, and uh, it worked pretty well. You'll see, I haven't done anything on, on the ochre version, um, so you'll see something pop out. Probably going to do a rabbit around that. I'm not sure yet, but you'll see something come out in that background, as I'll indicate in the Instagram post, was done with acrylic. So as a matter of drawing instruments, you know, I always have my Pentel graph gear, um, and I will say that... <laughs> I am a Pentel ambassador. I did buy my pencils, but I have to state that I am a Pentel ambassador. So I do have some additional tools from them, but I did buy this pencil and I love it. So this is the Pentel Graph Gear 1000, uh, 0.3 millimeter. I have a 0.5 millimeter I carry with me as well. My Most of my work is with the 0.3 in the 2B lead. I have a 0.5 that has a 2B lead and I have a 0.5 that has a 4B lead, but I rarely use it. And that is the pencil I use. If I'm just doing a pencil piece, that's what I do. If I'm doing any other piece, I don't use pencil anymore. I go straight to ink. So whether it's a Fude pen, which I'll talk about in a minute, or it is um, the Micron, I go straight to ink, and then I come in with watercolor if I'm out and about and doing kind of the urban sketching plein air stuff. But I want to get to this, this eraser that I was using. 
It is called Tenwin, so T-E-N-W-I-N, once again, linking in the show notes. It's similar to kind of a mono eraser if you've used one of those, but the advantage with the Tenwin is it has two AAA batteries and it has a really tiny eraser. And so you can actually take a piece of sandpaper and turn it on and just sharpen it to a really tiny point. And then you can bring this in and remove some of that graphite to show things like hairs and things like that. Um, you know, the other way you can do it too is you can actually indent the paper before you apply the graphite. And that makes, you know, that allows the, the hairs to stand out. But if you're trying to remove graphite, uh, this is a really really specific way to add hairs and it's very efficient. Now the thing that I've always used and relied on is like a kneadable eraser. Uh, you can choose like a standard kneadable eraser but I use something called blue tack and that's what I use to kind of pull the graphite off and you can shape it's almost like silly putty or play-doh and you can shape it into whatever you want. So if you want a really tiny a point you can do that or you can create something that's long and and thin and you can pull off lines of graphite so getting used to being able to pull that graphite off with something like that is is important now i mentioned the food a that is a fountain pen so sailor make two food a fountain pens one is blue one is green so the difference between a standard fountain pen and a food a tipped pen is the food a has a bent tip when you look at it, it looks like somebody pushed it down that angle changes, so between the blue and the green sailor, one is, I think, 45, and the other one's 50 degrees. And what this means is that if you lie it down flat, such that the tip is flat, you get these really wide bands of ink. If you rotate it up so that it's just the tip touching, then you can get a, you know, a medium density or medium width line. If you flip the pen 180 degrees, so as you're writing upside down, get really thin lines. So the advantage with the Fude is that it gives you a lot more flexibility. Uh, so you can use something like a Lamy fountain pen and do some great work, but if you want the real flexibility in it, the Sailor Fude is, is by far, I think, the best and the most accessible. It's not expensive. Uh, I would recommend getting the converter. So the converter is like a little plastic reservoir that you put inside the pen, and that's what you store the ink, and you simply dip your pen in an inkwell, you rotate this converter, it sucks up the ink for you, and then off you go, clean off the tip, and you're good to go. As a matter of the ink that I use, I use a platinum carbon ink, which is a permanent ink, and I load up my pens. I have two of them. I have the blue and the green. I load them up before I go out, make sure they work, and then off I go. I always carry the Micron pens, a 005 and a 01 in black and sepia ink, just so I have backups, because you never know with fountain pens, things could dry up. Uh, you've got to keep these clean. Uh, I wouldn't load it up until you go out, but uh, just making sure it works before you go. Now, the other thing that you can do is ballpoint pens. So I had uh, Franz Van Stone on here. She does a lot of beautiful work with, with ballpoint pens. And I had Robert Bateman on. When he goes out and sketches in the field, that's what he uses is ballpoint pens. So you could use a ballpoint, you can use a gel pen. The ballpoint's really fun. I'm going to do a couple of pieces in ballpoint just to show what can be done with that. Not to the level of, of France, but I'm going to try some of that and then just see what I can achieve. Uh, I've played with it in the past and I, I really love doing that. So don't think that you have to go out and buy a fountain pen to do this. A ballpoint pen, like just a simple big pen, will work brilliantly for this kind of stuff. And the other thing to consider too is pencils beyond the graphite. So Consider water 
watercolor pencils. The advantage with sketching something in watercolor pencils and then hitting it with watercolor is as you apply the water, those lines go away. And so they provide a rough outline until you hit them with water and then everything goes away and it just becomes a watercolor piece. So I've done that where I match the color of the watercolor closely to what I'm drawing. So if I'm doing ferns, I will go with a really light green or a light ochre. And so as I hit it with the, uh, the watercolor, that all goes away. And so that's an interesting way to kind of draw your subject if you don't want to see the lines when you're done. And the other thing to do is uh, consider bringing colored pencils. So there's no reason you can't be out in the field drawing with colored pencils. The thing you have to be mindful of is that you don't want to bring 100 pencils with you. So it's, it's kind of setting up that palette. Uh, you can get one of those real nice pencil rolls and just setting up that palette of, you know, 15, 20 pencils, uh, pack them up and off you go and you just make do with what you've got. And that's, uh, that's fun to do as well. So I've done that in the field uh, using colored pencils and it is a great experience. You don't have to worry about water. You don't have to worry about cleanup, nothing like that. So when it comes to palettes, so that is the palette that holds your, your paint, I use a Medine, I think is, is the name of it. It's a metal palette. It has a lid that folds out. There's two mixing palettes. And I have a series of, I think it's like 15 or 20 pans in there. I use the half pans because they take up less room. I load it up with my own paint. I use Daniel Smith. So it's a mix of different paints in there. And uh, so that is my palette I've used forever uh, in doing, well, forever, for the last three years in <laughs> doing watercolor and I like it but I'm trying new things and so I have a portable painter kit this is a company out of the U.S. that makes this kit that um, comes in a beautiful bag you open it unfold it and then the, the container becomes the two water containers and the cool thing about this is when you put it together and once again you pour your own paint into it uh, you sit it over your leg and it just stays there. So if you're, if you're running a short on space and you want to be able to have that palette, you can sit this just on your leg and have your sketchbook in your other hand and you're off to the races. And once again, you have to load this up with your own paint, but I would recommend if you're doing any of this, loading your own paint, whether it's the portable painter, which uh, you know the palettes are in there um, already, or you're getting one of these other ones and you're adding your own full or, or half, um, half pans, is half load the pans with paint, let them dry, and then put in the rest because it will shrink. So to try and get the most out of it, don't try and fill up the pan initially. Half fill them, let them dry for a couple of days, and then bring in more paint as well. Having said that, so I talked about the Medine uh, metal palette. I've talked about the portable painter. The other one that I've ordered recently that I haven't tried yet is, is the palettes from Art Toolkit. And so these are brilliant because the, the, the standard size, I think, is about a business card holder. And that's what they look like. They look like a small metal business card holder. And then they go up in sizes from that. I think there's one smaller and there's one larger. So I think there's three sizes. So what's cool with these is the container itself is magnetic. So the pans are held in there with magnets. And so you can mix and match. They have pans to hold paint. They've got mixing pans, which have a really nice white background to them. And they're super thin. And so if you're trying to keep it kind of lean as a matter of what you're carrying, these look brilliant. So I don't know what they're like. I haven't tried them yet, but I ordered some. And I think I may end up having the, uh, the creator of these come on the podcast in the future. So keep an eye out for that. And that is Maria Coriel Martin. And she's a wonderful artist. So she's going to come on hopefully at some point in the future and talk about this and all her work as well. But I really love these kits because they're so tiny. And if you uh, link these together with uh, some brushes and things like that, you can have a really small, tight kit. So the other palette to consider is the Winsor Newton Field Box. 
Um, so it is, once again, similar to the portable painter where the lids kind of pull apart and end up forming part of the water container. You can store water in this as well. The palette's a little bit smaller. It does come with a brush, but uh, if you're looking for something really tidy, this Windsor & Newton uh, field box is, is quite brilliant too. So as I mentioned, I, as a matter of paint, I use the Daniel Smith. Uh, I've been using gouache now, so I'm using Holbein gouache, and so I do uh, pack some white gouache. But I've also been using things like the uh, the light ochre and the yellow, uh, just because I like to come in later sometimes and add some of that. So I've been using that, and that's been really helpful. So I, I don't have all the colors of the rainbow, as a matter of the transparent watercolors, but I do include some opaque ones to offset them as well, because as I said, I like to come in later, and with the opaque, you can add those on top of a darker color, and they will stand out and uh, sit on top nicely. So the other thing with regard to the paint and the palette is just bring a sample piece of paper, something to test out the color that you're mixing before you hit it onto your sketch pad. That's always handy. And the other thing that I learned the hard way is bring a piece of paper to put in your sketchbook as a divider. I was in a situation where I was painting and I had this wonderful two-page scene on one side was uh, the uh, the sky and the ocean on the other side were these cliffs and these beautiful green trees and I closed the book and the paint was still wet so I had green trees in the sky on the left hand side so bringing a piece of paper that you can sandwich in there so you can close the book quickly if you need to and it doesn't ruin either side of the painting so uh, just a little tip <laughs> that I learned along the way so obviously when we're talking about paint we got to talk about brushes uh, when it comes to brushes, I use the Rosemary and Company collapsible brushes. So these are travel brushes. You can find them on their site. I like the pointed rounds. I've also used Escoda brushes. I think the Escoda Versatile is, is a fantastic line. A little bit too large for the detail work I do, but I think if you were doing kind of more abstract or much larger pieces, the Escoda brushes work brilliantly. The thing I've been using the most recently for at my desk or when I was doing these, these works, these tulips, is water brushes. So I use the water brushes by Pentel. I use mostly the tiniest one. <laughs> I think they only come in four sizes. The tiniest and the second to tiniest, those are the sizes I use. They're just, they're just convenient, and they work pretty well. People talk about they deliver water too quickly. Uh, when you load it up with paint, sometimes it's too watery, so you have to dab it a little bit. But also when it gets near the bottom, like so the way these work is the handle is the reservoir for the water. So you pour water in the handle and then you can paint with it. The thing you have to be mindful of is when you get to that last little bit of water, and I think what happens is air comes in and replaces the water too quickly, and then you end up getting that push. So try to keep it more than one-third full of water all the time. And you're not going to get that push of water once you get near the tip of it as it starts to empty. And uh, I found that makes a big difference. So I was mentioning water at the beginning. Water is critical. You know, bring a water bottle for yourself. Use that same water bottle for your paints. For, you know, if you're bringing water brushes, load them up before you come out. Uh, you can bring a rinsing cup or two rinsing cups to rinse your paints as you transition between different paints. But don't throw away your used paint into a stream, into a river, into a lake. Dispose of it in the trash. Uh, because, you know, if you're using uh, any, any of the more questionable paints that have the cadmium or whatever the case, uh, you're introducing problems there. So please be respectful of the environment and don't just toss the used water out, uh, throw it in the garbage and, you know, make sure it's, it's contained that way 
can dispose of it appropriately. So when it comes to the rinsing cup, what I did based once again on James Gurney is I took a water container that has a screw on lid and I put magnets on the bottom of it and I can secure that right to my, uh, right beside my, my pallet. And so that's a great way to kind of keep that stable. I also have another one that I hang off, one of those collapsible ones that I hang off a little Home Depot alligator clip that I clip to the side of the easel as well. And that works really well. And the, the last thing I include with all that is a shop towel. So you know those blue shop towels and uh, they're really absorbent. They don't shed lint and they're reusable. So you can uh, use them for a session. As long as you let them dry, you can use them the next time. And they're really great for cleaning brushes. Uh, they're way better than paper towels, more absorbent than a t-shirt, an old t-shirt. And they are brilliant because I've been using the same piece now. I've done, I think, four different paintings and sketches, and I'm still using the same piece of, uh, of material. So those work really well for me. And as I said at the beginning, none of these things will make or break what you do and what you create. They're simply what I've done and what I've used. And I'm sure there are better solutions out there. I would encourage you to let me know what you're using and what you think is great. And maybe I'll put this together as a blog post in the future. But I just wanted to share this kind of stuff because ultimately when you get together as a group of artists, you're like, oh, what are you using over there? What's that? How do you like that? And so I'm just trying to provide that information and giving you kind of the inspiration to go out and create. You know, keep in mind, there's no wrong way to do this. Just start with something and see where it takes you. You know, I'll be back in two weeks with an interview with another wonderful creative. In the meantime, get outside, enjoy the sun, enjoy the rain, enjoy the nature, and create something. It's wonderful. Show notes, including links to everything I spoke about, can be found at drawinginspiration.fm slash 78. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, share, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This will help surface the podcast for others to enjoy. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Be kind to yourself and each other, and keep drawing. Theme music for this podcast is Acid Jazz, provided by Kevin McLeod. 